0: Welcome to the Dope Black Woman Podcast, the podcast where we share stories of Black excellence as part of our safe digital sisterhood. I'm Leanne Levers. I'm Rashawn. You can call me Shan. I'm Lives. Hey everyone, welcome back. We have another episode, and this week I'm really excited because I rarely ever get to have people that I'm close with on the podcast. Um, largely because of covid but now that we have the advent of technology and zoom i'm able to have one of my closest and dearest friends daniela genus join me she's the founder of she's the boss she's also the mother of my goddaughter most amazing amani who may be featured later on in the episode but welcome Dee. thanks for
1: coming on thank you for having me
0: (laughs) Um, So the reason that I wanted to have you on this podcast, which I'm not even sure if you're aware of, is it is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And I've done a few episodes before talking about my personal experience, but also talking about the traumatic experience is of other victim survivors. But this time I wanted to take a bit of a positive spin on it. So instead of talking about the trauma that we all know so well as Black women in this world... I wanted to focus on some of the ways in which women can empower themselves and become less susceptible to situations of sexual assault and sexual violence. So we know that one in three women are victims of sexual violence. And one of the things that the research actually shows is that women who come from poorer backgrounds are more susceptible to things like sexual exploitation and sex trafficking And sexual violence in general. And financial independence is often one of the kind of obstacles or one of the things that can empower women. So men, women often don't leave because you know, abusive situations, because they don't have the financial capacity to do that. And entrepreneurship and financial independence is something that's really important. So I really wanted to get everyone a chance, give everyone a chance to hear your story and to be inspired to keep pushing and to keep finding their own financial independence and just kind of be empowered by your story. So I'm really excited for people to hear it. Um, One of the things that we start off every episode, as I'm sure you're aware, is asking women what makes them a dope Black woman. So what makes you a dope Black woman?
1: such a funny um funny question well it's not a funny question but I've been really training myself over the last couple of years to be unashamed with saying how great I am at everything that I do so <laughs> here's a, a great opportunity for me to put put my training into action so why am I a dope black woman well first and foremostly um because I'm raising adult black woman and I think I'm doing a pretty good job at it as you um, alluded to um I'm, I'm, I'm bringing forth Um, a new generation and my daughter is is very um, grounded in her blackness and I love it and she's only five so I think I'm doing a pretty good job there um I'm also I'd also like to say I'm a pretty good wife (laughs) um I've been married for eight years this year and I have no complaints from my husband thus far but also just within myself I'd say um one of the key things that I would say makes me a dope Black woman is the fact that I never take no for an answer. So I kind of set my sights on the things that I want to achieve and I relentlessly pursue them. And that has really stood me in good stead um, throughout my career. So I'd say that's it. And also I would say I'm quite fun too. If we're <laughs> going to just, if we're going to read off a list. <laughs> I mean,
0: just keep going. It's fine. Just keep going.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll stop there. We'll be here all day. <laughs>
0: Actually, one of my favorite stories about Amani, a.k.a. Munchkin, which is my nickname for her, is during her first birthday. I don't know. Of course, you remember this. On her first birthday slash christening, she was standing on the table oh, yeah. and she made the fist. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
1: Yeah, she's very serious about being black and I love it. Um, yeah, one of my greatest achievements.
0: Um, but yeah, she's, she is a dope black woman in the making for sure. But right now she's just a dope black girl. And actually on that note, I want to know a little bit more. I mean, I know, but let's, you know, take the audience through what was it like for you growing up and how did entrepreneurship even become a part of your journey?
1: So I am, um, of Jamaican descent, as you know, my grandparents on both sides of Jamaica. My mom was born in the UK to Jamaican parents. My dad was actually born in the UK, but raised in Jamaica and came back laterly So I was raised um, with the belief and understanding that I was Jamaican and very proud um, of that fact. And and a variety of um, kind of cultural things, I suppose, inspired how I was raised. Um, and as a consequence of, I suppose, being um, an, a child of second and third being a third and second generation immigrant child if that's the way to phrase it um, one of the challenges that we definitely had was around finances so my family were not um, very well to do in fact I would say that for a significant portion of my childhood we were poor Mm. and I think that's really what the impetus for kind of doing the entrepreneurial stuff that I did uh, where that came from because we didn't have any money so I was always trying to work out how do I generate additional funds for myself um not necessarily for my family because as a young <laughs> child I, obviously I'm not trying to um not trying to be the the breadwinner or anything but I was always trying to look at ways to kind of hustle and generate income for myself and from quite a young age one of the things that I did is looked at well what are the what are the skills that I have so I was very good at braiding hair probably for the same reason we, we weren't we didn't have loads of money to be going to the hairdressers all the time, but I wanted my hair to look good. So I worked out how to do that myself and then would charge friends in school to braid their hair during lunch breaks and also in maths class once, which got me kicked out of class. (laughs) Um, so that was kind of how it started. I wasn't getting pocket money. Um, but there was things that I needed to buy and I always felt like, I always felt like that poor friend. Um, (laughs) one of my best friends was her dad, um, He was quite well off and because her parents had split up her dad used to just buy her stuff all the time and it really i kind of just always felt like oh she's got everything and i've literally got nothing so how do i work this out um so there was always some kind of get rich quick scheme that i was trying to do charging people to um wash their cars babysitting for my mom's friends um, their kids there's just always something and then, once I was kind of in my latter teenage years, I managed to get a secure a job with a, my friend's dad um, when I was 16. And that was kind of my first introduction to, to the world of money. Because everything I'd done up until that point was a little bit of pocket change. But somehow I managed to negotiate myself a job that was paying really, really, really well and also yeah. didn't require much structure. For, I was going into an office from time to time, but I was organising events. And at that time, I think the national minimum wage was something like three pounds, something an hour. And I was getting paid £6.67. And I always remember exactly how much it was because I was like, I'm rich. <laughs> <laughs> £6.67. This is fantastic. Um, and I realised then that I really enjoyed events. So um, when I was 17, I put on an event. So I was uh, raised in a city called Nottingham. People would know Nottingham from Robin Hood. But at that time,
0: frame of reference. By the way, I remember (laughs) when I first met you, I was just like, "Oh, is there actually like a Sherwood Forest?" Yeah, (laughs) Sherwood
1: Forest is a great place. (laughs) But yeah, so I was raised there, and um, yeah, I organized like a huge event in Nottingham, uh, Urban Family Fun Day at something called the Arboretum Park, and I remember being really excited because there was literally like. At least a thousand people there, but people didn't realize that it's me that had pretty much single-handedly organized it. So I'd hired all the holders, I'd coordinated the performers, uh, done all the promos, did everything. Um, and yeah, it was a huge event. I remember seeing—I think it was my uncle—a uh, little while afterwards, and he was going on about how great this event was, and I was saying I organized it, and he was like, "No, you did not. That <laughs> it's not possible." Um, so from that age, I kind of realized I was really good at events, and then my parents, I suppose, this idea of changing, um, what's the word, like advancing our family's future, they really wanted me to go to university. My Both of my parents had gone to university as mature students, and really, they really valued education. I, I was going to
0: say, because okay. one of the things for me growing up, obviously, in Jamaica is you're taught that education is your way out of yeah. difficulty, right? So mm-hmm. that was like the go to school, get a good education. And even for me, deciding to do my PhD was kind of like, you know, ste- you know, stepping out of the parameters of traditional education. Like, you're not going to become a lawyer or a doctor. or. And I think many of the guests that we've had on have had that issue with their family setting. So what did your parents think when you were doing all of this, like, entrepreneurial stuff during... Your high school
1: years? Um, well, my dad loved it. Uh, my dad has always been um, entrepreneurial minded. However, from a practical perspective, he's never really taken action on it. Mm. So he always raised me to say um, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think if there's a politically correct way of saying it, but I'm remembering. You know, just say Dr. it as it is. Black women podcast. Um, don't work for Babylon. Like basically, <laughs> you need to you need to sort your own thing out, and yeah, like leave Babylon alone. Sort your money out and go home. Essentially, that's always been his thing. Um, so he was always really about that, but he still wanted me to go to university to have that kind of educational grounding. And um, I think when I was younger, my mom, my mom just thought it was she's just busy. That's just what she does. I don't think it was that she didn't want me to, or she did want me to. It was just that's just who. Um, Ella, is, so Ella is my nickname that's just who Ella is just leave her to it kind of thing um, I wanted to go to performing arts school so in my younger years in addition to kind of doing the entrepreneurial stuff I was all, also very much involved in singing dancing I had a very short lived career as a rapper under the pseudonym Elegy, <laughs> <laughs> um, and therefore for me right I'm going to go to performing arts school and I'm going to be like some sort of Missy Elliott singer rapper type And um, my parents were like, absolutely not. That's ridiculous. No, you need to go and get an education and focus on that, which now I'm thinking of it, it's probably because they thought I just wasn't that talented. (laughs) Like It's clearly not for her. (laughs) Rather than tell her she's not that talented, we'll just say that, just get your education first and have that as a backup plan, because clearly they knew I was going to need the backup. Um, And somehow I managed to 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 let them convince me to go to university. and that then I went to university with the intention actually of leaving uni and becoming some sort of media mogul so it was, I never I there was never anything that I wanted to do on a small scale it was always like go big or go home so yeah. I'm either going to be this international singer rapper or actually now I'm going to be the UK's version of Oprah so I'm going to have my <laughs> own media network I'm going to have a TV show I'm going to have a magazine and that's just going to be me um so went to uni to study media and communication, specialising in television and radio production. Absolutely loved university. Um, and and really, I'm quite happy that my parents kind of insisted on me going. And to be fair, one of the, the reasons I also didn't necessarily want to go to university is because I felt that everyone at university was rich. And here I'm going to be again, the mm-hmm. poor one. Um, and when it's only really probably recently, I've started to think about the, I suppose, the implications of growing up in what we would call a kind of a deprived situation has had on how I think about life generally, and some of the things that I kind of shied away from or didn't want to participate in because I just didn't want to be the poor one. And university was one of those things. But then when, once I got there, I realized there's loads of us, <laughs> there's loads <laughs> of people struggling, there's loads of people that are having to work their way through uni. Um, but again, because I'm quite entrepreneurial, what did I do? I went to university and then I set up the African Caribbean society at university started Wait, so there organizing wasn't events
0: an ACS before you got there
1: Nope. that's
0: nope. crazy because it's something that's like quite common now
1: right yeah well all of the other unis had them but for some reason ours just didn't have one so me and my friend Fanina, who you know we set it up i was the president she was the vice president and um yeah we started organizing events and Again, go big or go home. I started reaching out to kind of some of the big brands. Alizé was a big brand at the time, the alcoholic beverage. I asked them to sponsor us for some of the events that we did. I got some of the building societies to sponsor us. So I realized I was also quite good at sponsorship and started putting on these events. They did really well. We were making like we were the most successful society in the university because we was making lots of money. And realized I was quite good at that, too. So um, continued that. And once I left university, I, I kind of felt a bit lost. I didn't know what to do um, because I'd been so used to kind of just being busy studying and doing the events. And then it was kind of like, well, if you really do want to get into the media, you're going to have to move to London and pretty much start from scratch. So you're going to have to be a runner, make tea. And again, when I think about it, I don't necessarily think that I ever really looked into it that deeply. I don't recall ever looking at any jobs in London or looking at any opportunities I just decided I wasn't going mm. and I was going to work it out in Birmingham where I, I lived at that point um but again I think it's the same reason I was scared of going and being poor
0: <laughs> it's interesting why didn't you decide to go back to Nottingham
1: I was never good from the moment I left from before I left Nottingham <laughs> I knew I wasn't going back to Nottingham Nottingham just felt too small for me London felt too big and still does like it's right. just, just a bit overwhelming um but Nottingham just for the kind of life that I knew I wanted to live and the kind of things that I wanted to pursue it just didn't feel like there were going to be enough opportunities and I didn't feel and as harsh as this may sound and no offense to anybody in Nottingham um, I just felt that it was too everybody's minds were too closed so it's kind of like if you're from Nottingham you're born in Nottingham you stay in Nottingham and you can only think so far outside of the box and I didn't really like kind of, I suppose, what you'd call a small-town mentality. Yeah. And because I always had this kind of big-thinking mentality, I just didn't feel that it fit in Nottingham. So from my left, I told my parents, by the way, I'm not coming back, Like, I'm <laughs> just so you know. My mum was broken-hearted. She still is to this day. Um, but, yeah, I didn't have any intention of coming back. But with the London thing, I kind of made this decision in my head that this is what it's going to be like, so I'm not going. But, again, looking back, I think it was because I was scared of this big city, and it's quite easy for people to fall into kind of proper poverty in London. Whereas I felt like in Birmingham, there's still opportunities and it's much less likely that I'm gonna end up homeless on the streets, which was a huge fear of mine. And then I kind of spent a year going from job to job, never really wanting to work, realizing that actually I, I can't have a boss. It's, it's not a life that I can manage with. I don't like people telling me what to do. I don't like people telling me when I need to do things. I don't want to have to wear the clothes that these people tell me to. I don't want to eat when they tell me to eat. So by the end of that year on like job six, um, I heard about a business startup program, which I applied to. And the idea was I was going to kind of continue what I'd been doing at uni through the ACS. So the kind of iconic event was talent, something that we had done quite consistently. So it's putting on performing arts shows. And the idea was for me to turn that into a business. I linked up with one of my other university friends who wanted to do an event management company and then we kind of decided okay let's do an event management company that focuses on the performing arts so events that centered that are centered around um music dancing performance all and of my, the things
0: that you had wanted to become yourself
1: yeah pretty the, much yeah <laughs> um which is funny because one of the first um events that we did in the ACS me and Fanina, who was supposed to be organizing it performed <laughs> in fact I think we did two we did two tracks <laughs> so we did like Wait, a dance track also, and a singing track
0: did you also make yourself win
1: <laughs> oh no no we weren't in the competition we were the entertainment
0: oh sorry okay
1: <laughs> like anybody knew who we were it was ridiculous but anyway um so yeah once we started the business uh, we recruited two of our other friends from uni so there were four of us and we started our business Aspire for You and it didn't go anywhere <laughs> the way it was supposed to go and within like what maybe 18 months I don't even know if it was that long it went from the four of us to just me No, um,
0: well, I'd like to say that it went exactly how it was supposed to go because then I came and started obviously. working at Aspire <laughs> for You
1: that's what it was all for (laughs) but yeah no initially it didn't go and it's funny because when I look at the kind of the the, my entrepreneurial journey generally there were a lot of ups downs up downs up downs it never Mm -hmm. but I suppose that's just how the entrepreneurial lifestyle is so we ended up all falling out as friends which was quite sad because particularly me and one of the other girls were very very close and we like we haven't spoken again until last year i think it was last year that i saw her
0: wait um, is it the one who you actually lived with i'm not gonna call her yeah. names yeah yeah, okay. yeah. That's the one who called you queen f in daniela genus
1: <laughs> yes that one <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we had a quite a falling out um so it didn't yeah it didn't work in the best interest of our friendship at all but what it did do is it taught me a lot of valuable lessons about doing business with friends and going into business with friends that, which i now um i suppose provide advice to other people around.
0: I was going to say, let's talk about that a little bit before we go from your transition from events into what you do now at She's the Boss. Obviously, mm-hmm. as you said, you've had experience working with friends, some of which have not turned out that great. Some of which have turned out amazingly, i.e. working with me. <laughs> <laughs> <say>
1: so <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I think I was helpful for sure.
1: <laughs> um, no, I, yeah I'm, I'm not disputing
0: so when I met you you were kind of doing aspire for you or I guess that was kind of at the end of your relationship with said friends mm-hmm. and then we became friends and quickly kind of fast friends actually shout out to Shane who introduced us um or introduced me to your husband your now husband and then introduce who then introduced me to you and I don't know if we liked each other at the beginning.
1: Um, well, the first day, I just thought that you, like when we first met that very first day, I just thought he was a little bit stush, <laughs> if I'm honest. Like, you just didn't look like you particularly wanted to talk. And then AK, so my, my husband is called AK. AK was being a bit pushy, like you have to be friends with this girl. And I'm like, I don't, even, I don't even know who this girl is. You can't say I have to be friends with her. But then by the second time, I was like, oh, actually, you're not, I think maybe, I don't know if he was nervous, if he was shy or what it, whatever it was. Um, but you was a little bit more talkative the second time, and I was like, "Oh, well, actually, she's quite cool."
0: I want to blame this on your husband, your now husband's friend, who took me out on a date. It was the first date I'd ever gone out on in Birmingham because I'd just moved to to Birmingham from Jamaica or from the Cayman Islands, rather. And he was like, yeah, I'm going to take you to this jazz club and we're going to go to a fancy restaurant to get dressed up. So, you know, I was all dressed up to the nine, excited. I I think I had on like gold sparkly shoes, which (laughs) in hindsight is such a bad fashion choice now. And then we went to the drum. And for those of you who don't know what the drum is, it's a community center. So it's not a jazz club, although there was a jazz event taking place there. He then also left when we left the the drum, the jazz club, he took me to Nando's. And I didn't know that Nando what Nando's was at the time.
1: Not a <laughs> fancy was, restaurant.
0: Yeah, but it's clearly not a fancy restaurant. Food was great, but it's not a fancy restaurant. So right. if I came across as Toshu, it was partially because I was told or it was, I
1: was misinformed. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah. The so. Second time I met you, I met you at somebody's house, and we were cooking. So I think mm-hmm. that was probably more of a relaxed setting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we became fast friends, and then you were doing aspire for you, and I think you were just on the verge of uh, um, securing an office space. And I was at, you know, doing my masters. I think we were both doing our masters, or had you just? Yeah, yours? no, I
1: was, I was doing my masters.
0: You're mm-hmm. doing a masters and I kind of organically just started helping out and then when you got funding I started actually working officially and you brought on a few other people actually at the time who are also friends with you some again who did not work out that well Mm -hmm. some (laughs) of whom you had to file or I had to file (laughs) thanks for that (laughs) um And some of whom just were really poor at life, really, when I think about it. All men, by the way. I want to make that disclaimer that all of the women that I think worked at Aspire for you that were Black were amazing. Um,
1: No, that's not true.
0: Oh, is it not true? Okay, it's not true. So let's talk about the ins and outs of (laughs) working with friends.
1: (laughs) It's not true at all.
0: What would you say are your tips and what were the experiences behind you formulating these ideas or these tips about how to work effectively with friends or not as the case may be
1: well I, I think the, the key thing is don't work with friends just because they're friends work with friends friends because they're good at what you need them to do mm. and that's the most important thing if you have a friend that can do the thing you need to be done then by all means consider hiring them if you have a friend that just, you want to give some money, just give them some money. It will be less drama in the long run, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> um, and then also making sure that there's boundaries in place. I think that's really important. Um, and I don't think we ever really had specific boundaries in place, but I think that's just because you were clearly a good employee. I um, was because
0: we lived together and we worked together. Yeah, so a bit much, I'm
1: surprised, yeah, I'm surprised <laughs> we didn't end up hating each other at the end of that period. But it worked. So that was fine. But then I suppose what I didn't do with some of my other friends that probably needed those boundaries, Mm. I didn't put any boundaries in place. So um it made it it made it quite awkward when I needed to come and kind of discipline and do stuff. So that's why I would just send you to do it instead. Mm -hmm. Um but I think it's really important to have written boundaries, written codes of conduct. So I always recommend people, whether that be you're going into business with a friend or if you're hiring a friend, make sure that the Code of conduct is clear. Like this is acceptable and this isn't, um, because sometimes what you can find is the lines get blurred between the friendship and the um, the work kind of stuff, and and you need to address a certain thing within the business context. But because you're friends, that person then then may want to, to respond to you in the way they would if their friend was criticizing them, for example. But that's not in a, it's not appropriate in a working environment however if you've got things written down and stipulated then it can take away the kind of personal impact. yeah because I'm not saying this to you as Daniela your friend I'm saying it to you as Daniela the the leader of this business and if you look at x y or z it says here if this happens then this happens so I'm just following the process so you need to make it more process driven and not kind of person driven and be clear from the outset what isn't, is not acceptable behavior. I think that's really important.
0: Is there a Simian come live with me type of scenario in terms of friendships and work as well? So f- I think one of the interesting things is maybe because we did live to- together and because we knew each other so well, those kind of boundaries were already understood. Whereas mm-hmm. sometimes when you hire someone who's, yes, your friend, but it's not really your, you know, ride or die, or mm-hmm. one of your closest friends that, you then begin to see elements of the personality that you probably wouldn't have seen had you not been working with them in the same way that you wouldn't see them if you had been living with them.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. Um, but I think also it's not possible to see that those things sometimes because as a friend, even if um, you spend a lot of time together, spending friendship time together is different from seeing how they operate in a, in a working mm. environment. So I think with you I just got lucky in it like I just think <laughs> you just you do you know what I mean like you know how to work but then this is why I say it's important to be clear on are you hiring this person because they're your friend or because they're good mm-hmm. for the job because if they're good for the job then really they it should work itself out but if it's just a friend then you're not doing any due diligence to make sure that they're appropriate for the role or um to even ask questions around what they think is acceptable and not acceptable ways of working which you would do if you were employing a stranger because you'd interview them and in that interview process you'd ask them questions but what you what people often do if they're hiring a friend and in fact (laughs) one of my clients was telling me this the other day when there was there was moaning to me about um one of their employees in fact two separate um clients within like a two-day period called me about one was about an employee one was about some a friend that they'd kind of subcontracted some work to and with both of them I said well why did you hire this person and both of them said, "Oh, because it's my friend." <laughs> I'm mm. like, "But did you?" So one of them had their friend make a website for them, and then the website was broken, and now they're too busy to do it. And I'm like, "But they're not a web developer." Yeah, but it's my friend, and he said he could do it. Well, then it's your own fault because you didn't do any due diligence. And then the other right. one was saying, "Oh, well, it's my friend," and she says she needed a job. She doesn't have any experience, but now you're complaining that she's not good at her job. That's your own fault because you knew she didn't have any experience. So I think really having the boundaries is fine but if you don't do the due diligence in the first place the boundaries are pointless because all that's going to happen is you're going to continually be sitting in disciplinaries and 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 providing additional support that you don't have the time to have so ideally steer clear of it but if you are going to do it make sure that you you still approach it as as you would with a stranger so make Mm -hmm. sure you still interview them like don't make it a joke make sure that they know it's serious and you take it seriously
0: um any other tips that you have any do's or don'ts
1: um do pull up bad behavior or poor performance sooner rather than later mm. the longer you leave it the more complicated and more awkward it becomes and the more problems that it will cause it's better to salvage the friendship um that like and lose an employee than lose an employee and lose a friend
0: mm mm definitely definitely and Just our own kind of working with Black women as friends, actually, since this is the Dope Black Woman podcast. Um, You know, I think there is this popular narrative that Black women can't get along and it's difficult. And do you find it difficult working with other Black women? Have you had difficulty working with Black women who are also your friends? Obviously, you've had it on both ends where you've successfully worked with Black women and then also had or worked with Black women who it didn't work out with. Um, And so what has been your experience in terms of navigating that narrative or disrupting that narrative, actually?
1: Um, I just don't think it's true, to be honest. All of the Black women that... So I I made the joke before and said, not every woman I've worked with has performed. But really, there's only one of the Black women that I feel like probably could have done a little bit more um, and didn't necessarily do a good job. But we got on, so it didn't lead to a, a huge problem. And then obviously with... Um, started the business with black women that didn't work out but I don't think that's because they were black women I just think it just didn't work out because we were young and a bit dumb and mm. we didn't have any we didn't put any processes in place we didn't have any code of conduct and we kind of kept it very familial so it was a bit overly familiar there was no boundary between work and friendship mm. but generally outside of that I've had only good experiences with black women um have I had positive experiences with white women? Well, <laughs> the, two, the two women that, kind of, the two people, not even just two women, two people generally that caused, have caused me the most trauma and stress in my life in relation to that business were both white women. Um, yes. Whereas the, the black women that did the most for me within that orga- the, oh sorry, the people that did the most for me then within that organization were black women. Um, obviously you was one charlene um, was another one of my employees and charlene black woman, fantastic mm. charlene still in touch now and charlene um, i sold the business in 2015 so charlene hasn't worked for me since then and we're still really good friends yeah. so yeah i think it's a bit of a, a myth to be honest um i think it's something that people say to kind of per- per- perpetuate this angry black women black women can't get along mm-hmm. i just don't think it's true i've like loads of my clients are black women and we get along just fine.
0: Yeah. So transitioning out of events, obviously into what, you know, do at she's the boss, which I'll allow you to explain, but essentially what I find interesting about it is that it is very woman centered as the name would suggest. And I'm wondering what your personal kind of ethos is around um, Well, being financially independent as a black woman, I mean, you are married. Mm -hmm. Your husband, I love him to death, uh, is a hardworking guy. Why not stay at home and, um, you know, depend on him financially? Or why has that not been something that you have? You know, there are lots of women who hold very traditional views about the man being the head of the household or even just growing up. You know, throughout your relationships, regardless of whether married or not, the the emphasis that is placed on men to take the financially responsible role, and yeah, so I'm just wondering what your ethos is on that, what your experience was growing up for your parents. I mean, I came from a, a background where my mom was a um, was the breadwinner of our family, and actually, more so as I got older, was very insistent on kind of. Don't depend on no man for no money. Don't depend on no man for no money. Almost to my own detriment in many
1: ways.
0: (laughs) Um, Because I find it difficult to accepting help now, which is a completely different scenario. But yeah, what was your background and like developing into that kind of emphasis, not only emphasis for yourself, but in terms of helping women to become financially empowered as well?
1: We just don't know what tomorrow may bring. And really, that's the root of it all. We Mm -hmm. just don't know what tomorrow may bring. So with my parents, as I said, they went to university later in life. Um, They were mature students. And I recall in kind of my early teenage years, both of my parents studying and and studying hard. And it was kind of with the idea that once they graduated, they're going to build this wonderful middle class life together. And then I was, what, 17? No, I was 15, in fact. And my parents split up. Now, one of the things that my dad had always, my my dad was like a, my dad was of the belief that the woman should, the same kind of thing he said, the woman should sit at home and look about the children. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got no business doing anything else. And my mom kind of insisted upon her also going to university. And it was a tough time because they were both at university at the same time. And as I said, we didn't have any money. So it was a struggle. And then pretty much, they must, I'm sure my mom probably graduated when I was maybe 13 maybe 12 and then my dad graduated the year after and then by 15 they'd split up now had and something that my mom had always said has always said from that point had she listened to him and they, they weren't married so it's not like she would have been it's not it wasn't a divorce she yeah, wouldn't she have been entitled like to half.
0: alimony or whatever
1: yeah yeah so she says what would have happened so she would have been there yeah. with her three kids and she would have been destitute Um, so for her she always drilled into me don't rely on no man because at any given point a man could get up and leave and then then what are you left with um but also I think it's not even just that a man could get up and leave he could get sick and and can't work he could die Mm -hmm. god forbid anything could could happen in in
0: jail he could be an alcoholic drug addict any of those yeah
1: like there's so many different um things that can happen and you can't I just, I, I think it's unreasonable to place all of your kind of hope and faith in a, a person external to yourself, mm-hmm. because anything can happen at any given day and that person may not be able to provide for you anymore. So I think it's really important that as women, we carve our own lanes and it's difficult. It really is because obviously as women, for the most part, if you want kids, um, I'm, I'm sure it doesn't apply if you don't, but if you do want kids, it's an extra it's a whole extra thing that you have to deal with and try to balance creating a career and becoming financially independent but also trying to be a good parent um and not feeling guilty and it's hard Mm -hmm. um and it's not an easy feat but it's important and it's important for me for my daughter to know that and I say it to her all the time because she's going through this phase and it's really stressing me out (laughs) she keeps talking about she's getting married and she's gonna have kids and that's all she's doing um And I keep saying, no, you're going to be a boss. And before you think about having no kids and having any marriage, you're going to go to university Mm -hmm. and you're going to start a business. And I don't care if you don't want to run that business, but you're going to start a business. Yeah, but last
0: year she wanted to be a doctor. Yeah, and a
1: vet and a hairdresser. Yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) Yeah,
1: so I'm hoping it's a phase. But honestly, when she says it, and I know she's five, so as you've just pointed out, like it's just five-year-old nonsense, isn't it? She'll change. But it really makes me feel like, oh my gosh, because the concept of my child just sitting at home waiting on the man to come home and give her money it stresses me out like when I hear people with their what's it the um, their monthly stipend oh yeah I yeah just like I, the concept of it blows my mind because even actually when I wasn't working and I was on maternity leave I wasn't going to ask my husband for money the money goes into one place and I take the money out when mm, I need it mm. um, and that's something that I just don't know how it would have worked if he had well it wouldn't have if he had a different approach and was one of those men that here's your 200 pound going, no, I'm, that's not for me. doesn't work. Well, it's
0: interesting, right? Because uh, Daniela's husband, for those of you who don't know, I don't know if he wants us to say his name or not, but for the sake of
1: keeping it. say it on social media. So.
0: Okay. Yeah. So AK <laughs> um, is uh, Nigerian, right? He's from a Nigerian mm-hmm. background. Also yeah. from a very traditional Nigerian background. So, yeah. uh, you know, he, uh, not that he is, uh, Falls into the most traditional idea of how a household is run but how do you guys navigate both coming from these traditional backgrounds and then um, you know creating this household that is you know two working parents one of whom is an entrepreneur and raising this child to be a progressive young woman
1: well first and foremost I told him quite clearly early on in our relationship Mm -hmm. if you're looking for traditional nigerian housewife then it's time to walk away because i'm never going to be that so let's just be very clear um Mm. and he agreed to that and actually as much as i suppose he was raised with quite traditional views he hasn't really maintained them Mm. really um not in every aspect so even in terms of the cooking we share the cooking now thank god for covid as much as i've hated covid one of the amazing things that has come out of covid is i don't have to cook every day because he's in the house whereas before um just by nature of the fact that i was home and he wasn't i would do the majority of the cooking which kind of seems very traditional but he wasn't there so it was illogical it's
0: practical yeah, yeah like
1: why am i waiting for him to come home at seven when i'm in the house from half three
0: and ak is a great cook by the way
1: yes and i'm falling in love with his food all over again so he cooks every other day um, and that is wonderful. But it also is not in keeping with his traditional mm. Nigerian. But I would say, amongst his kind of friendship circle, many of whom are Nigerians, they're all kind of taking that approach. So, yeah, most of his friends do it. And, and no cooking is the, the most basic of these things, but still, it's important. Um, a lot of them do a lot of the cooking or do like the half 50 50, mm-hmm. do a lot of the child raising. Um, whereas as with their parents I think what they've done is they've looked and said well actually my dad put a lot of the the kind of burden of responsibility on, on our mums to do the cooking to do the cleaning to do mm-hmm. the child raising and actually we in, and I'm not trying to speak for them but I think that they look and see that because of that they don't necessarily have or haven't had um, the same kind of hands-on experience with their dads and they want that for their children so my husband so AK spends a lot of time with um with our daughter and and is very hands on with her and that's something that is really very important to him because he wants to be a, he wants to be very engaged in his daughter's life um but also he just doesn't want me to, I don't think he wants to hear me running my mouth in his ears to <laughs> so he will Hoover up and he will change the bed sheets even though I have to cuss him to do it um so he has not that I would say that we both kind of let go of our culture because it's not necessarily that it's we've taken the bits that we think work for us and the bits that don't we've not taken them and it works for us it won't necessarily work for everyone but if saying all of that I still have some level of traditional views so I still think that my husband is the head of the household and I say this in the loosest (laughs) (laughs) in the loosest way possible um because if anyone's ever in my house, they'd be like, what's she talking about? Because clearly she does not believe that. How I operate and how you hear me talk, I run off my mouth a lot. However, when it comes down to it, I still want AK when it's time to, yeah, like you, like I don't, I hate, for example, when a decision needs to be made and you, you don't look to me to make a decision, can you just do it, please? So it's weird. So I'm, I'm kind of progressive, but then traditional at the same time. Um, but it works I don't know I I probably sound very confused but
0: and I think one of the things that is important to note here is that there is actually nothing wrong with being a housewife I being a mom is literally a full-time job as I've observed with quite a few of my friends and how they manage working and being a wife and being a mom all at the same time and doing it well is something that baffles me all the time And gives me several panic attacks about having a child of my own. But I think the important thing is choice. And so being able to choose what it is that you want rather than feeling like you need to conform to a certain idea because that's what's been presented in front of you. So if you weigh out all of your options, go to university and then tomorrow decide to be a stay at home mom, provided that you can maintain some sort of financial independence, which you can do. Um, I think I know, know many I know many women that just save accordingly so that if as you said some God forbid something were to happen
1: <laughs> yeah I can advise to do that put, put money aside say that the shopping is 200 and and actually it's 100 and pocket the other 100 and save it
0: <laughs> do what you got to do boo. <laughs> whatever it is that you need to do to make sure that you and your kids are good God forbid as Daniela pointed out anything that might happen do what you have to do but yeah for me it's more important that women have the choice in becoming what they want to become
1: yeah because there's also situations where I've heard people say that they don't want to go out to work but their husband partner has forced them to go out to work mm. but and then they're forced to go out to work but then still showed up the the lion's share of the house managing responsibilities which again I well not again but that is also to me quite abusive it's controlling yeah. If, I, if, if you're going to make me go to work, then you're going to have to help with stuff in the house because I'm not a donkey. Why am I trying to work and manage everything and you're just going to go to work and come home and relax? That doesn't, doesn't work for me. Well, there's some people out here living like <laughs> living they're a donkey. Therapy. Yeah, and I'm, I've, I've been very clear. I'm not a donkey. And any time that I feel that AK gets complacent with that because complacency does set in. And this yeah. is the other thing. So you said before, how are people doing it and doing it well? We're not always doing it well. Something mm-hmm. always, something always, um, kind of will fall through the cracks. The important thing is to kind of address it and and try to sort it out. So where there's been times where he might be getting a bit complacent and, and doesn't want to cook, and you, I'm sure you must remember the periods of time where when it was his turn <laughs> to cook, he would only cook meatballs, and it used to stress me out. I don't want meatballs. Every single, I'm sick to death of meatballs. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I suppose that's the difference. And that's where my kind of non-traditional thing comes in because I'm not just going to sit here and eat these meatballs because I'm so grateful that my husband is cooking. No, if you're going to cook, do do the thing properly. I yeah. want to see some vegetables and a bit of planting, like come and mix it up a bit. Um, <laughs> and that really is important to me. Um, but yeah, I think really the main thing is if you, as a woman, decide you want to stay home or you want to go to work, that it's a joint decision with your husband or your partner, and nobody is disadvantaged. Mm. Like, supposed to be a teamwork team effort so so work together and where that's not possible then make a plan for yourself and for your kids so that you can make it without them if they're putting you in a situation where you're being forced to choose
0: which um kind of brings us nicely to what you do so that's kind of what you do for women specifically right is you help them to make a plan for themselves well yeah yeah so
1: Although the business is called She's the Boss and I do interview women in business, I do also have many male clients. Oh, but my preference... Nice. <laughs> no, it's fine. But my preference... not <laughs> Preference is the wrong word. I enjoy and I'm passionate about and I'm committed to supporting Black women. So I have cl- clients that are men, I have clients that are women who are not Black, White and Asian. But as a Black woman, as a mother of a Black girl, as a daughter of a Black woman my kind of main ethos in life is how do I um, empower as many black women as I possibly Mm -hmm. can Mm -hmm. and my work is centered around being able to to not only do that but also to generate enough income so that I can help more people in the long term Um, and also raise my profile I suppose um, significantly enough that even if I can't work with you specifically, you can see or hear about me and be inspired to go and do whatever it is that you choose or want to do. Um, So how does that work? I do that through, so with She's the Boss, the, the main aim of it is to support ambitious entrepreneurs to start, grow, build profitable, sustainable systems, driven businesses. And I do that through a combination of coaching, consultancy, training, and accountability programs and essentially as what you said one of the kind of key starting points through my kind of framework of my delivery framework which is called the visa model is to start with helping people and women to be clear on what their vision is for their life and their business so helping them um, create a three-year vision through something I called vision 20 for their life or business, and then helping them reverse engineer that. So putting together the goals, creating an action plan that kind of gives them the step-by-step tasks and activities that they need to do within a specific time frame to achieve the goals and therefore bring their vision to reality. And it works, um, I've been quite successful in helping a variety of entrepreneurs and many black female entrepreneurs um, to actually bring their visions to reality. And even with myself, I've done the process with myself and the li- life that I'm living right now, I planned this life three years ago mm. and I'm living, including the house that I live in. So it definitely Yeah, I remember racks.
0: you had the like pictures of, or yeah, yeah. the plan of floor what plan. you are,
1: Yeah. Yeah. I drew the floor plan on a whiteboard, put it on my kitchen counter and now I'm living in that floor plan. Literally everything mm-hmm. is the same bar one extra room. So I, I, not only am I living it, I'm living the upgraded the Arctic, version of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I'm really passionate about getting black women to really be clear on what what they want to achieve in their life, but also making sure that that, the idea of what they want to achieve in their life is not stunted by others' perceptions of what they can and cannot achieve. Because I know for me, one of the stories that I've told and I've mentioned quite a few times on, on different social medias and stuff, is the idea that growing up, there was always somebody to tell me, particularly growing up in the UK, um, there was always somebody saying that you can't because, that you can't yeah. do that because, you can't do that because, starting from being in um, secondary school and a guidance counsellor saying that um, I can't be a singer or whatever fanciful thing that I wanted to be, <laughs> um, <laughs> that I should be a cleaner and recommending that that's the... Excuse me? Yeah. I don't... And the, Every time I think of it, it really stresses me out because how dare you and this is why I'm really passionate about making sure that other black women are able to see black women that are out here carving uh, their own lanes and not allowing people to tell them what they can't do even when I was doing my MBA a couple of years ago there was and I'm not saying that this guy said I I couldn't do what I couldn't achieve what I'd said I wanted to achieve because I was black but I'm just gonna say that it was yeah Yeah, it could have um so he said where do you want to be in five years and I said rich and the guy started laughing like cracking up like it was the funniest thing this is a lecturer who was in a like a career and personal development session and he was like no seriously and i was like no seriously <laughs> <laughs> i'm being serious <laughs> i don't understand the joke and he's like well anyway if you're not going to take it seriously and went to the next person wow so, so yeah for me it's always about ensuring that all of the black women that i come into contact with know how valuable they are but also how much that they need to quiet those voices, whether they're from external people or internally within their own heads, mm. telling them what they can't do. You can do whatever it is that you set your mind to. Um, and actually, the main thing is knowing what that thing is. So I always say as, I always used to use that um, saying, and I always used to get it wrong. I think I've perfected it now. If you aim for the moon, you reach the stars. Right. The problem is too many people aim for the top of their building and they right. reach the front door. So what we need to be doing is aiming much, much higher. And you may not hit that super high destination, but in the pursuit of trying to get there, you're probably going to get much further than you would have ever intended. And I think that's really important. And that's something that I really try to to embed with all of my clients, but particularly with my Black female clients. I
0: was going to say, as it relates to your Black female clients, uh, one of which I have recently become um A client of Daniela's. I had my first uh, session with her a month ago. I have not fulfilled any of my tasks yet. And... I know.
1: I was going to say I feel like you should feel ashamed to even say <laughs> such a thing, but I'll let you continue.
0: <laughs> Look, it's we're in a pandemic. There's lots of things going on.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: But um, but yeah. So, what are some of the things that you find particularly that you're black? female clients need help with? Like what are some of the things that you think black women struggle with the most as it relates to becoming entrepreneurs?
1: Confidence. Mm. Confidence is always a problem. And here's the thing, I have a coach also. And as much as I'm out here and I'm she's the boss in all the time, even my coach has to check me on my confidence sometimes. And um she has a coach who does the same for her. And my coach and my coach is a black woman. I don't know if her coach is a black woman though actually. But because we live in a world where we are told on a daily basis and I don't know when this podcast recording is going to go out but we recently even heard about this stupid um report from the man whose name I would not mention saying that institutional racism doesn't exist in the UK um we're constantly told that we are not good enough that we're aggressive that we make things up in our head we're not presentable that we're not beautiful enough that our bombs are too big even though everybody wants the same bombs as us like we're constantly fed this narrative that we are undesirable and and that we um that there's a problem with us and it's impossible to live in a society like that and it not to chip away at you yeah um it's, it's just it's impossible um and i've seen that in action so with with all of my kind of black women clients at some point they've had a crisis of confidence or that is a continuous thing that I have to help them address they um they are scared often to have these big dreams because it can't happen um the people around them often tell them that it can't happen and this is not just from a societal perspective it's from a friends and a family perspective Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're not if you kind of want, if you start thinking too big, it's you getting above your station. It's why can't you stay and do this safe thing? And that's something that's happened to me also. So it's also not asking for our worth. And, and a key thing as well, something that I noticed with Black women in particular, we always want to do businesses to help people and not help people like I'm trying to help people with business. I mean, to help a societal problem.
0: Right. Yeah. And a not drug get paid policy for it. or, yeah. I mean, I think there's this inherent thing that people feel like you shouldn't get paid for your work when you are aiming to help resolve a societal issue, right? Like helping the societal issue or minimizing it is the thanks or is the reward that you get. And it's really difficult for me, particularly, I would say um, as someone who works in a human rights arena, I find it difficult to charge what I'm worth or charge the, for the quality of my work or the work that I'm delivering, because you are helping other black women. You are helping other people who are struggling, whether it's black men or, uh, you know, people who are come from disadvantaged backgrounds or disabled people or minorities. When you're helping someone, you feel, there is a certain sense of guilt that is accompanied by um, asking for a fee and how does one get over that really
1: here's the thing you can't help anybody if you can't help yourself
0: Mm.
1: and my uh one of my mentors said that to me a few years ago Asian lady and she was like well okay because obviously my first business was a social enterprise and we were helping young people although we did the event side the young people were those from disadvantaged backgrounds and was providing opportunities for them but it got to a point where it wasn't profitable so I wasn't generating the kind of revenues that I needed to be paid what I was worth and she said and I said but I just I want to help these young people but I mean, she was like do you have a house <coughs> and I said no she said do you want a house yeah, I said, well, yeah obviously I do so how are you going to get this house so you're going to help all these people all these young people are going to go off and fulfill their dreams and buy these houses and go on these holidays and you can't go on holiday and you can't buy a house now here's the thing she said imagine how much people you could help if you was earning triple or quadruple what you're earning now mm. and I said that's a, a really good point and she said focus on helping yourself first and once you're in a position that you've helped yourself you now have the resources to help as many more people as you want and that's something that you need to keep in mind um but also, she said, and again, something that really stuck with me what happens when you're totally depleted? How many people yeah. are you going to be able to help then? Because if you're poor, if you're broken down, if you're burnt out, you're not going to be able to help anybody anymore. So, charging your worth is not just a matter of uh, the f- kind of financial resource, it's also about your own kind of longevity and well being. Yeah. If you're not getting paid, you're going to be working, working, working. And now you're disadvantaging yourself from a financial perspective, but also from a mental health perspective, because you're worrying, you're stressing because you don't have no money. So one of the things that I always say is it's fine to help people, but make sure you don't do it at a detriment to yourself. So if you're and obviously there's people that work for charities and and that's not to say that you shouldn't do that. But what I find is many of us want to do that. And there needs to be more of us that work out how to generate revenues that we can then funnel in to helping people. So one of my clients that even you know of that has done this exceptionally well in the last couple of years, Neo Enterprise, and their business is social enterprise and Mm -hmm. their kind of main uh, reason for being is to um, economically empower black women. But what they've done is they've been strategic with it and um, managed to secure finance and funding and investment from, from organizations that then enable them to get paid. So they can get yeah. paid and they can support the black women. I think that's what we need to do more of. So it's not the amount of black women that I've had as clients who I'm saying, how do you get paid? And they're like, oh, well, I don't. And I'm like,
0: what do you eat- mean you yeah. don't?
1: How are you eating? And they're like, oh, well, I borrow some money from this person. Or, or they work in a job that they absolutely hate. Mm. Um, working all the hours that God send and then taking that money and plumb—I pl- 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 say the word pummeling it. That's the word into funniling it into the business yeah, yeah. not into the business into oh. to like giving money to black other oh. black women that they're trying to help and stuff like that um when I ask people about their hourly rate for things and they're like oh uh I don't know like 10 pound an hour and I'm like what I go, you can't what can you do with that you can't yeah. live on that and actually within your industry there's people charging 100 pound an hour how are you charging 10 yeah. Um, and this is is something that I'm again I'm really passionate about because there's so many of us that just accept it and we we don't stand our ground um when other people also outside of our communities come and ask us to do things and we just say okay we'll do it for free because oh it's an opportunity oh it sounds interesting oh because it might help someone in the long run help yourself first Mm -hmm. like tell people uh, there was a guy from um a company in Birmingham big like big company in Birmingham that contacted myself and a a, a kind of business colleague of mine saying that they want to find out how to get more black women and black people, sorry, um, onto their entrepreneurship programs. And he didn't say that that's what he wanted the meeting for. We go into the meeting and he basically asked, within the first kind of few minutes, I'm like, this guy is asking me to do consultancy because then he's saying, how do we recruit them? What kind of things do we need to put in place? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, can I just stop you for a moment? Is this, a pick your brain session or is this uh can you tell me how much your consultancy charges because this is consultancy work <laughs> and it was a white man no lie the man started laughing like he laughed on the zoom wow. and he said to be honest I was trying to pick your brains and I said well I don't allow people to pick my brains I I my business is it's a con- brain, like yeah. consultancy I charge this amount so if you would like to find out how to get more black people on your entrepreneurship programs I am the expert at it because I've got many Also, my entrepreneurship programs. I can tell you exactly how to do it, but what you're not going to do is pick my brain for free. Yeah, I know for pretty much a fact that he would have found another Black woman that would have said, Mm. I'll do it and she'll do it for free because there's so many of us that do that on a regular basis.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's mad. So um, in terms of focusing, well, going beyond focusing on Black women, Um, obviously you have this space that you empower all sorts of people but yes specifically black women and you're raising a black woman and you are married to a black man and you are the daughter of a black woman and black 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 (laughs) Um, and like how do you manage that because many black women are the either the breadwinners of their household i think in jamaica in particular 51 percent of households are run by women like they are the financial breadwinners they're also single led households so usually the male is not present in the household obviously you're fortunate enough to have ak who's a great dad and great partner but it's also about multiple managing multiple identities right and how do you manage multiple identities and what advice do you offer to the women who are also either single moms or mom, just moms, you know, with or without a parent, with a, you know, a second parent in the picture, also managing, you know, their own mental health during this time. And then also, you know, being a partner to someone and being someone's daughter as well, you know.
1: Stop. Be the best that you can be, not what anybody else wants you to be.
0: Mm.
1: And I think that's important. So particularly during the pandemic I've seen so many women like really burning themselves out because they're trying to do everything and trying to be the best at everything all of the time mm-hmm. and as I said I think I alluded to this earlier sometimes you have to let a ball drop and it's yeah. really just you just have to let the ball drop and you have to let the ball drop and be fine with the fact that it dropped and just leave it there for a minute stop trying to juggle everything at the same time and they're getting stressed when something drops Just let it drop and pick it up when you've got space and time to do it. I think we beat ourselves up so much because we have to be the best mom, we have to be the best wife, we have to be the best at our job, we have to be the best in whatever business we're doing. And actually, Mm -hmm. as much as I am, I am an A-type personality, so I'm trying to be the best all the time. I also recognize that sometimes, like business can't run today because my daughter needs me.
0: I think is it Oprah that said. Or maybe Cheryl Sandberg that said you can have everything, but you can't have it all at once. I don't know if you also believe that or um, or if you have a different, I don't know, opinion um,
1: on that statement. It's funny because um, I do something on Clubhouse now. Now I'm new to this Clubhouse world um, On nine at 9 p.m. Um, on Mondays. And I'm called Smashing the Glass Ceilings. And we asked that question a couple of weeks ago. And I said, I don't think that you can have it all at the same time. Not 100% of it right so right now for all intents and purposes i have it all like i love what i do work-wise i have i'm a mom i have a husband like there's a lot going on but you know what? i don't have right now i don't have access to social activities <laughs> now at the point that the world opens back up and we can go to parties and we can something's gonna something is not going to be 100 percent anymore like right now i think from a and even now i'd say from a mum perspective I'd say I'm 80 percent like there's 20 percent where I could be better but in order for me to to be that better 20 percent I can't do business it and in business
0: there.
1: yeah yeah in business I'd say I'm probably doing 75 percent but to get that other extra percentage then that means with my husband I'm gonna have to to lose it from there with my kind of me as a wife I'm probably about 80 percent Again, if I'm going to draw that 20%, it's going to have to come from somewhere else. So I've got all of the things, but they're not all 100%. everything
0: at the same, yeah. And it's different.
1: just not possible. And sometimes as a mom, I'm 90%. But then as a wife, I might be 60 and it, it And the things have to move. It's not possible to be the best at everything all of the time, to have everything all of the time. Um, but also the, the, mo- the main responsibility you have to have is for yourself. So one of the things that I speak about quite a lot at the moment, and I'm very intentional about speaking about this, is the importance of rest and mm-hmm. putting yourself and your kind of mental and physical well-being um, as the utmost priority. Because if I am not well within myself, whether physically or mentally, I'm not going to be a good mom. I'm not going to be a good yeah. wife. I'm not going to be a good friend. I'm not going to be good at business. And again, I think a lot of the time as moms, we... Um, which we, we're just going going moms and women in business um and even if you're you're in work you go 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 and you're trying to to kind of exceed all expectations and we forget ourselves and something that i've been saying quite a lot what is the the benefit of building these amazing businesses if you drop down from a heart attack and enjoy it, yeah what's the point and what's the and if you're not ever going to be able to spend time with your children because you're just working, 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 working all the time, and and you kind of get to the top of your um your work, a structure, and now you're the the CEO or whatever. But now your kids hate you again. What's the mm-hmm. point? So something always has to give. Because you know you met those people whose their parents have got these ma- fantastic jobs. Yeah, and like wow, they and they any time with their kids. Yeah, and they hate the the kids hate them. Like they never had no time for me. Um, and then you have the other ones who. Or the other parents that devoted everything for their kids and now their kids are grown and gone and now they're like the kids don't care about me and I should have gone and done this so for me it's trying to have balance so it's not focusing wholly on one thing it's having balance across um, and focusing on everything in the best way that you can yeah Also making sure that you focus on self so burnout is something I speak about a lot because I think from a mom perspective so many mums and moms in business particularly end up suffering from burnout because of this kind of pursuit of being the best at everything I need to be the best mum like I'm quite clear like I was making I was speaking to somebody yesterday saying there's so many mum fails that I've had over the years and I don't feel bad I just think it's funny like the time that I dropped my daughter at school or went to drop her at school and remembered just as I approached the school that she was going on a school trip and I hadn't sent a packed lunch and I had to drive back down the road to the Gregs and buy her a Greg's meal deal <laughs> and put it in her bag. And when she came home, the sandwich had mayo in it and she doesn't like mayo. So she uh-huh. hadn't eaten any of the sandwich. And I did feel bad for a second, but she's alive. Like she's fine. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like we can only do what we can do with what with the resources and the time yeah, that is available to well. us. And I think that's important.
0: Um, one of the things that I think actually not many Black women get to do, um, and given all of the i given all of the stories or pockets of stories where you've told me where people have told you that you can't do something or that you shouldn't do something or that, you know, you should, you know, not take you seriously is um, you don't get that moment of like retribution. And all so right. my last question is actually before we bring on Munchkin, hi Munchkin, <laughs> she's waving. <laughs> um She's so well behaved. She knows she has to be quiet until we finish. <laughs> uh, is that, you know, for all the people who said that you couldn't do it and you can't use expletives because man is. In the room, mm-hmm. um, what would you. What would you say to them now? Look at me
1: now. <laughs> <laughs> that literally would be somebody was asking me the other day how it would feel if I saw that person that told me to be a cleaner and I was like well I don't remember what they look like but what I do remember is my teacher Mrs Foster and I remember Mrs Foster saying to my mom, Daniela would be a great success if she would just stop talking so much I'm like if I ever see that woman I say now look at that I get paid (laughs) to talk now (laughs) the thing that you said was going to make me not a success is actually part of why I am um, so yeah that would be it look at me now like you you tried to say what I could and couldn't do and I've defied all of your um, kind of ideas of what was possible for me so clearly you know nothing very <laughs> <basically>
0: <laughs> well consider this your moment of retribution I hope everybody hears it um, so Manny has joined us my amazing goddaughter hi Munchkin what are you doing I have a question for you. I'm playing games. Okay, you're playing games. I have a question for you. What is your favorite thing about mommy? When she takes me to my friend's house. <laughs> when she takes you to your friend's house. <laughs> what else do you love about mommy? I do everything. i um, taking me to the park. And she takes you to the park. And what do you think of mommy as a, as a boss, as a, what do you think? She, do you think she's a she superhero? Have, oh, she's a superhero. And why is she a superhero? Like she does the thing. She, and um, she helps me do everything. Oh, awesome. So Manny, what's mommy's, what's mommy's mantra? What is mommy saying? Think big, take action, keep pushing. Amazing. Thanks, Munchkin. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> so guys, you've heard it from Munchkin. Think big, take action, keep pushing. Um, thanks, Munchkin, for joining us. And Daniela, for people who don't know where to find you, tell us what you well, tell us what you have planned coming up, and then tell us where people can find you.
1: So this year is exciting because I'm trying to kind of focus on getting my courses together. Got a range of products that I'm launching, and I'm going to be doing a lot more kind of speaking. I'm trying to do more podcasts and that kind of thing. So looking for big things to be achieved in 2021. Um, But if people want to find out more and kind of follow my journey, they can connect with me on Instagram. Is where I spend most of my time, and that's at She's the Boss. UK you can also visit my website she's the boss intl.com I am also as I said on clubhouse Daniela Gina she's the boss and also from a professional perspective you can connect with me on LinkedIn Daniela Gina
0: so guys thanks so much for listening to the podcast don't forget to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get them from Um, On Twitter and Facebook, we are Dope Black Women. And on Instagram, we're Dope Black Women 1. We'll be back with you next week. Until then, stay blessed and unapologetically Black.
1: All the way Black. Blackity Black. Black (laughs) Blacktastic. Sound like a cheerleader. (laughs) Yes, you do.